Robots vs. Dinosaurs is a proud member of the Apocalypse Podcast Network. Check out Apocalypse Podcast Network for more great podcasts. The following podcast is brought to you by Robots vs. Dinosaurs. Robots vs. Dinosaurs is brought to you by the 28th Street and Crescent Bodega. <laughs> Disclaimer, this podcast is about to spoil several movies from 6 to 20 years old. Lou, read off the list. Today, Robots vs. Dinosaurs will be spoiling for you, the listener, up. How to Train Your Dragon, How to Train Your Dragon 2, How to Train Your Dragon 3, The Hidden World, Goon, Goon 2, American Pie, Super Bad, 300, Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants, Ugly Betty, Harry Potter, Jurassic Park, Jurassic World, Fallen Kingdom, Aliens, Return of the Jedi, Game of Thrones, and Reign of Fire. Hello and welcome to Robots vs. Dinosaurs, the podcast where we watch a movie every week and then try to determine which one is cooler, robots or dinosaurs. I'm your host, Louis G, and with me as always is my co-host, a new co-host every week, and this week I have another one of the hosts of Pod Queens with me as my co-host today, actor, director, Sajda Waite. Hello, Sajda. How are you doing today? Woo! Hello! I am doing well. How are you? I'm fantastic because I'm so excited about the movie we're going to be talking about today. Sajda, why don't you tell the listeners what movie we're going to be covering on Robots vs. Dinosaurs? How to Train Your Dragon! Yes! (laughs) I'm sorry, Sajda, was that How to Train Your Dinosaur? Uh, No, well, one and the same, I would say, right? So that that is the question. (laughs) Yeah, I bet uh, some of my listeners were probably looking at their podcast feed and saying, how is a dragon, a robot or a dinosaur movie? But we're going to we're going to we're going to inform the uninformed today, I think. What do you think? Uh, finally, I will be heard. Finally, the people will know the truth. And that's what I'm most excited for, you know? Yes. So, Saj, I have a lot of thoughts about this awesome movie. I have a lot of uh, we're going to I have a lot of things that that um, I want us to get into in terms of like what is a dinosaur and how does that relate to how you picked this movie for today. But before all of that, I want you to talk a little bit about yourself. As I teased a little bit, I am trying to feature other hosts from the Apocalypse Podcast Network on my show for for the next uh, few episodes coming up. And so recently, listeners have heard me and Gamal talk about The Iron Giant. Mm -hmm. And uh, coming up soon, I have uh, my good friend Jelani, and we're going to be talking about the movie Nine. So you know what I find is interesting is that all three of you from Pod Queens picked an animated movie to cover on on (laughs) the show. Uh, yeah, I, don't, I get it. I don't know what that says about us. To be honest, that's funny for Jelani because I, I would have expected Jelani to definitely be the live action of of mm. all of us. But yeah, there's something I don't know. There's something just so delightful when it comes to how animated movies approach dinosaurs and robots, and I think that that's always that's always exciting, especially in like a robot. I mean, we're going to talk about dinosaurs, but for robots, you think I think that so much of it is about how we as humans right now are like trying to interact with them. So I think it is really interesting that we're like, but let's think about how like the animated world is looking at robots, which is exciting. Yeah. You know, what's something I've started noticing because every time I watch a movie for, for the podcast, I'm taking notes in my notebook and I, I've noticed that when I'm watching an animated movie, it, it's, I mean, it's a very obvious thing. This is not an original thought, but everything that that is visually on the screen is completely deliberate. There's no accidents in the background. There's no like extra walking by when they shouldn't, or, you know, a car driving through the scene. There's none Water of that. Everything is, 
Exactly. Everything is 100% supposed to be there. So when you get in, when you're really looking for like details and like background details and you find little Easter eggs and things, it's really fun because you know some animator hid that there or put that there on purpose without calling attention to it. And, and I love those little, little details. So can you tell, uh, for the uninitiated, can you tell the audience a little bit about your show, a little bit about yourself, about Pod Queens and what you, all the things you do, because you're a very dynamic person. You know, she just likes to dabble in just so much, really. <laughs> but yeah, so Pod Queens specifically is a culture podcast, one of the culture, many culture podcasts on Apocalypse Now Network. And we are three queens who wade into the steamy waters of culture, as we like to say in our little title. And it's really just an hour of us having, almost like we're having brunch every Saturday, just kikiing about whatever culture topic is on the docket for the day. So it's, you know, really easy, like, oh, I put this on when I just want to hear some, like, fun little jokes and, you know, laugh along about The Bachelorette, you know? Like, that's our, that's our vibe. And then... Separately, as an actrice, quarantine has been so good to us, really. Like, what a mm. what a wild ride it has been. What um, an opportunity. <laughs> really, like, I just feel like everything's coming my way. <laughs> well, funny enough, though, when, before it all started, I was like, oh, because I was, I was working, like, an actual person's job. And I was like, oh, you know, I'm, like, I really wish I could leave this and, like, just, like, focus on acting. My plan was by the summer to, like, okay, I'm going to, like, quit and, like, do my thing. And weirdly, it did happen because the quarantine happened. My job said, ta-ta. And I said, okay, cool. And... I just, you know, made a web series with some of the very same podcasters that you mentioned, previously mentioned. And so in a way, I got what I wanted, which is to make make art and, and act during the summer. And so I have a web series. So that's like the newest thing in my life. Um, so to tell the audience the name of your web series, please. And I'm going to link to it in the show notes for sure, because I love this web series. <laughs> Oh, thank you. It is called Worm Holes. Multiple worms. Well, one worm, multiple holes, I guess. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, that's the that's I'm so glad that we found a way to describe it like that. Now, this is like mm. an original right happening. So in front I, of I don't know. I watched the whole first season and I would argue that it's, it's one whole multiple worms. <laughs> Because it's the one, the one hole that's in the closet, but it leads in all the, these crazy different directions and like all of these different fun characters like Gaspacho's alter ego. <laughs> yes, Vichyssois. Well, yeah, I guess that's for the the audience to decide. You know, let us know. Mm -hmm. Do you think? <laughs> do you think it's one worm hole, multiple holes, or multiple worms, one hole? Check out, uh, click on that link in the show notes, watch every episode of Wormholes, and then write in to robosvdinos at gmail.com and let us know, or tell us on social media, whether you think it is one worm, multiple holes, or one hole, multiple worms. Um, <laughs> we'll, we'll put up, we'll put a poll on Twitter. <laughs> oh, that sounds delightful. I've been, I, I need this to be answered. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, you're a, a, a director, you're an actor. Um, I also know you as a singer. We've, we went to school together and I got to see you act in a lot of shows. We have, we have, we, yes, we have, we have, we've been yeah. in shows together. Um, mm -hmm. We did clickbait together. We did clickbait. Uh, fourth graders. Oh, that's right. The fourth graders, man. Did I tell this is this, I'm going to cut this, but, it <laughs> <laughs> but did I tell you I recently saw like a different production of that show? Shut up. Really? 
Yeah, it was bizarre watching it from the audience. Even more bizarre than being in it. <laughs> <laughs> it does feel a little bit like a fever dream. <laughs> yeah, I may or may not cut that. Uh, so, <laughs> so yes, you're an awesome, awesome, very talented person, podcaster, director, actor. We, when I was a guest on Pod Queens, and listeners, you could check out that episode of Pod Queens if you want to hear our interview. We talked a lot. We talked about a lot of things, like you were saying. Like one, one thing I remember was uh, I w- We talked about whether Megan the Stallion was was going to be releasing a Christmas album. Christmas has <laughs> come and gone, and the album has not. So. Yeah. We got a final decision on that, unfortunately. But another thing we talked about was robots and gender. Mm. And I think that we had a really great conversation about that. Today, we're going to be talking maybe a little bit about dragons and gender. Because there are, I do have some things to say about that, or I think this movie does. So we're going to dig into that. Before we do, let's just talk about the movie itself. How to Train Your Dragon came out in 2010. Since then, there's been at least one sequel. I, it's hard for me to keep track because there's so much How to Train Your Dragon on Netflix now yeah. that like there's multiple animated series from the show. Yeah. Is, I, I'm, I'm, I'm only somewhat familiar with them. I will tell you this, last, last Thanksgiving, 2018 Thanksgiving, <laughs> um, not COVID, th- or I'm sorry, 2019 Thanksgiving, not COVID Thanksgiving. I was visiting my, my family in North Carolina and my nieces and nephews were watching the How to Train Your Dragon show on Netflix. Yeah. And I didn't even know there was a show. I sat on the couch, like watching a few episodes with them. And then like at, at some point they had to go to bed and I was just like, all right, guys, I'm just going to keep watching a few more episodes. <laughs> I got really into it and it was really, really good. Oh, this, this, this franchise, this how to train your dragon franchise started in 2010, which is hard to believe, but in, in the past decade, it's really become quite a phenomenon. Oh yeah. Probably even more than I'm aware of because I'm definitely not the target. (laughs) Well, yeah. When the first movie came out, I was in 2010. I was in my, 10th grade, because I always graduate the year that it was turning. So, yeah, I don't know. I think it was an odd time for me to fall in love with it, but I did. And then the subsequent movies, the second one? I think, th- I can't remember if the second one came out while I was in still in high school or in college, but def- one of them definitely came out while I was in college. I think the, the third one for sure came out while I was in college. And... I remember being like, maybe this is weird for me to go to the theater and like be this excited to watch this movie, but I did. And I was apparently the target audience. Like I needed this movie more than anything. Seriously, more than anything. I've thought about this movie. It is in like probably my top 10 favorite movies of all time. Like that's how this is. That is awesome. Is there a particular reason why it's like in that top 10 category? Is there something like something about it that that makes it like an easy choice for you? Or is it just like the way it resonates with you in general? Definitely the resonate. But I feel like it was I think we all have movies where it was like, oh, that like reminded me what movies can do or saw like Mm -hmm. opened up idea of what movies could do and specifically like the score for this movie I remember being like wait I think this is one of the first times that I like it it, like hit me so hard like how the score was moving me through the movie and I that was just like a revelation I was like 
obviously movies have scores like 2010 such like we know this but it was the first time that I like truly took note of how it like affected me emotionally and I just felt like <gasps> you know what I mean every time sound was <laughs> around me which is the whole movie pretty much so yeah I think yeah. that was part of one of the things that got me the most the music was by uh, John Powell. And um, yeah, I have to say like, that's, it's something that stood out to me, especially during all the flying scenes, how exciting it made those. And, and just, um, I have a, a thought about the score of a movie that always goes one of two ways. It's either uh, if it's, if it's really good, you notice it and you're to the point where you're humming it to yourself afterwards. And like, you just finding yourself like cleaning the house, humming the theme from the movie or it's so good that it blends so well that you don't even notice it. And this 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 score kind of did both in certain places. There were certain some that, some scores that came up every once in a while where I was like, "Wait, I this is like this is something that like plays in my head all the time. I know this song, I know this this tune here." Exactly. Um and then there were some where I was just like, "Oh my god, I'm just like leaning forward staring at my screen and the score is just sort sort of part of everything that I'm experiencing all at once." Um it's a very multi-sensory movie <laughs> it is it totally is and uh, yeah that is definitely like what makes it just one of my favorite experiences I've never had a bad I've never sat down and been like damn I'm like I can't watch this anymore it's like ruined it's like, every time I'm I ball at by the end of yeah. it I'm just so well let's dig into a couple things. I want to know, I'm going to go over like some of, I typed in how to train your dragon on IMDb just to see how many things come up. And I'm curious um, just to know like how many of these, these things you've sort of followed through the years being a fan of this first movie. So the first movie came out in 2010, that same year DreamWorks released how to train your dragon legends, which I think was a show. Also a video game came out that year. Then in 2013, DreamWorks How to Train Your Dragon Legends. So I guess maybe they revisited it or something. <laughs> but then finally the sequel to the movie came out in theaters in 2014, How to Train Your Dragon 2. The next thing I'm, I'm seeing as a search result here is uh, in 2019, How to Train Your Dragon Homecoming and How to Train Your Dragon The Hidden World, which it's definitely featuring the same voice actors. Actually the show is too. So I don't know, are these movies or are these, oh no, these are shows. Uh, the homecoming one is definitely a show. No, but Hidden World is a movie. Mm-hmm. Hidden World movie. is the third one. Okay, so have you seen all three of the movies? I have seen all three of the movies. I have not, uh, sadly, I've not engaged with the series content. But now that you've enlightened me that it's actually quite delightful, I may have to go back. <laughs> Here, here's what I remember from that night, like sitting on the couch with my nieces and nephews. <laughs> they, <laughs> this movie goes really into like that book of all of the different classifications of dragons. And mm-hmm. it, it was like almost every episode of the show was them featuring a different one and what it can do and how they tame it. And, you know, what they do to to feed it or to get to bait it to get close to them or like how they that it's sounds- really, really in depth. And, and oh, sorry. I was just going to say that sounds closer to the books that it's based on, I think, because I did. So I will say I am I am that bitch that <laughs> was like, oh, these are based on books and like bought. Um, I think there's more, but I bought three of the mm. books. And so I feel like that. The show seems like it's probably going along closer along the lines to the books than it is the than the movie does. I would say, or at least the first. Okay. One. Yeah. What are the, what are the books like? Are they very like plot driven? Are they character heavy? Are they? A 
to, to be honest, I don't I don't remember them super well, but they do feel more like world buildy. They're a little less like character. If I'm remembering correctly, they don't feel as character driven as the movies do, which was fun because that, that you know you get a bigger sense of the world that she was trying to build. But definitely, mm. definitely the movies I think focus on on Hiccup a little bit more in a way that I wasn't getting as much from the books. The um, the only thing I know about How to Train Your Dragon 2, because I haven't seen it, is a, a, an interview with Craig Ferguson where it he revealed that Gobber is actually queer. And I don't know if you knew about that, but it's there, he has a line apparently where he, he's seeing a married couple squabble and he says some some sort of offhand comment like, oh, that's why I never got married. And, you know, another reason. Um, and sort of winks to the camera. So I read this interview with the director who said that that was actually an ad lib that like that and another reason bit yeah. uh, was actually an ad lib by Craig Ferguson in the booth. And uh-huh. they had a conversation about it afterwards. And they just decided that they're just going to make it canon that this character, Gobber, is is openly. I, I think that I think where they landed on was LGBTQ. I don't think they specified right. exactly, but. That's, I think that's great, personally. <laughs> that's wild. I didn't know that. That's amazing. Oh, Gobber. Oh, what a gem. Um, let's talk about some of the other people in this movie, because I love this voice cast. We've got oh. uh, Jonah Hill, of course. <laughs> got McLovin, super bad, <laughs> Christopher Mintz-Plass, who is absolutely perfectly cast. So good. So good. We have Gerard Butler as the dad, stoic, stoic the vest. Uh, really, really great. Uh, Jay Baruchel. I like Jay Baruchel a lot. I don't know if you've ever heard of this movie called Goon. It's on Netflix, or it used to be. I don't know if it still is. And there's actually a sequel to it. This is the kind of movie that I really like. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> because it's it's a it's a weird movie, but it's a Rocky movie, more or less. And it's about oh. this this dude that is what's called a goon on a hockey team where his whole entire day, he doesn't score, he doesn't really play defense. His whole entire job is to like slam check the other players and get into mm. fights. So he take like when you, cause fighting is legal in hockey. Right. So when you get into a fight, it takes that other player off the ice for a few minutes and that gives the team an, an advantage. So that's his whole entire job is to start fights. But the movie is about how he's like this really nice guy and like <laughs> you know, he's a lovely person, but he's just really good at this one thing. And it's a fun movie. And Jay Baruchel actually directed it. Oh, what? Um, and it stars Stifler, whose name is escaping me, whose real name is escaping me right now. <laughs> I don't <laughs> want to do a disservice uh, to that actor. Oh, my gosh. Why can't I find his name I, now? I don't. I'm, re- I'm terrible at names. So I, 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 um, I apologize. I cannot be of any help. I truly, I think I like said the wrong name probably three times in my own podcast recording yesterday. <laughs> Sean William Scott. So Sean William Scott is <laughs> fantastic. He's in both of the movies. It's really, they're really, really fun. You should check them out if you get a chance. So that's Absolutely. Jay Baruchel. Then America Ferreira. I am way less familiar with her. America Ferreira is one of those people where if I saw her like in a grocery store, I'd be like, oh, that's America Ferreira. I don't know where I know her from, but that's her. <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do you know her from anything else other than these movies? Um, yeah, well, so she's also, unless I'm mistaken, but she's Sisterhood Traveling Pants, America Ferreira, um, and okay. Ugly Betty, right? And unless... My shoulders, I don't know. Yeah, I th- I'm, I'm sure, I think I'm, I'm 
like 90, 92% sure I'm right. I, although I wouldn't say I would like follow her career. I definitely, what was wild to me is I definitely did not recognize her voice at first. Like the first time I, I, I saw the cast list, I was like, Oh, America Ferrera, wild. You know what I mean? I like didn't put two and two together, which everybody else in the cast is pretty like, I feel like their voices are pretty easy to recognize. There's one that that surprised me a little bit. Actually, two that surprised me a little bit. So, Kristen Wiig. Oh, is this yes. <laughs> rough nut? Yeah, because <laughs> she's she's doing such like this gravelly, like uh, tough girl uh, voice. I love it, and she is fantastic. Then her her twin brother T.J. Miller is um, tough tough nut. That's their names, right? Tough nut and rough nut. Yeah. And then I I only found this out from IMDb. David Tennant does a voice in this movie. Yeah. I that that is also something I didn't know until yesterday. So I will give you that one. <laughs> I, I knew that before I like I, I looked on IMDb before I rewatched it and I was like, let me hear David let me listen for David Tennant's voice. Couldn't hear it. Um he was Spite Lout is the character's name and he is I guess the dad he's stoic the vast like number two guy. He's the lieutenant. So he's probably with him in, the, in that on the boat all the time. Yeah in all of those scenes yeah didn't hear it though apparently he's a much bigger character in the show ah interesting but i doubt they got david tennant to voice him in the show (laughs) right that would be wild but you know what everybody needs a paycheck so like (laughs) and they did get almost every other voice actor for the show so it, it is possible those that's a lot of people involved in this movie a lot of talent a lot of really great great voice actors and the the director was Dean DeBlois and Chris Sanders and I kind of looked at what they do mm. the biggest things that stood out to me they're very much in animation Lilo yeah. and Stitch and Mulan a top tier you know what I mean like great young kid makes friends with a magical creature or yep. space alien creature yeah absolutely <laughs> that whole it genre tra- it really um, does track there yeah <laughs> yep <laughs> so Let's talk about, let's get into the movie itself. Let's talk about the opening shot. So the opening, we have this dark, foggy ocean and uh, this rocky island where I'm about 90% sure Luke Skywalker is hiding and drinking blue milk from walruses. Absolutely. Um, (laughs) And we get this voiceover where Jay Baruchel's character, Hiccup, tells us, this is Burke, B-E-R-K, Burke. It's 12 days north of Hopeless and a few degrees south of freezing to death. Uh, and he says, located solidly on the meridian of misery. The, he talks up this village like it's this cold, desolate wasteland. And, and nothing could live or grow there except these hardy Vikings. And <laughs> they've been there for seven generations. And the only thing wrong with it, the only thing that they don't, that they can't stomach, they can stomach the cold, they can stomach all of the misery, but they can't stomach the pests that they have, which are dragons. <laughs> <laughs> so oh, what a lovely place <laughs> <laughs> so the movie opens with this really great sequence of the island getting attacked by a bunch of dragons which gives a give it, it does so much it, it like right. introduces us to all of the characters it tells us who hiccup is and what the village thinks of him right and and what he thinks of himself, more importantly. And we get to see some of his inventions. We get to see, you know, the way he wants to contribute to the village. But it also introduces us to the dragons and gives us this, like, one-by-one uh, sort of breakdown of, of what they are. So we get introduced to, like, the Natterhead and the Gronkles and the Zippelbacks. And he tells us a little bit about each one. Oh, um, good. 
It's a perfect opening. It's like, it is, it is movie magic in my opinion. <laughs> it is so good. It really is. The lighting is amazing. All of the smoke and fire effects. I Watching this 11 years later, I was just really impressed with all of the, the CG animation. Right. The graphics like truly do hold up, you know what I mean? In a way that I feel like exactly we could look at something you know, from 10 years ago, and we're like, mm-hmm. but I think this is one that holds up for me. Yeah. And I think it's because they chose a style. They weren't trying to go for like, let's make this look like realism. Let's mm-hmm. make the grass look like real grass or, you know, anything like that. It's just, this is the style and we want the whole movie and every element of it to be in this style. So people's proportions, uh, are very distorted or, you know, exaggerated in different ways. And, and like, that's just fun, but it all works together. It exactly. all creates this, this very unified image that works right. really well. Yeah, everybody, and everybody looks the same, right? It's not like you're looking at something, you're like, oh, they're really trying very hard to make, like you said, make that look like grass or make that look like water. So everything fits within the the world that it's in, which is just perfect. Yeah. So let's talk about some of the characters that we're introduced to and some of the dragons that we're introduced to, because <laughs> the dragons are introduced right away as the villains of the movie. Uh, even though we know from the title that <laughs> that these dragons are going to be trained at some point. Um, <laughs> kind of gives it away. But this opening shot does set them up as the villains. So um, we I actually wrote down every dragon that they talked about in this movie. Oh, wow. <laughs> I, I, I adore you. <laughs> we have got the Natterheads. Those seem to be the most like generic dragon. When you say like dragon, this is sort of the image that pops up. It's got four legs and wings and spiky things on its head and it breathes fire and it's kind of sleek and dangerous looking. And those are the Natterheads. Then we have these like sausage looking ones that are really squat called Grunkles. <laughs> With like bumblebee wings. <laughs> it's, it's one of my favorite things to look at. It's so like can you imagine seeing that in real life? This like scaly fat sausage just flying around. Because it shouldn't be able to fly, right? It just shouldn't. Absolutely not. It's so <laughs> it's, it's like you know what it is? It's the pug of the dragon universe. You know what I mean? Mm. That's what it is. Perfect. That's exactly what it is. The pug of the dragon. <laughs> uh, then we have Zipplebacks which are the two-headed sort of serpentine ones. And what's interesting is these are described as the stealthy ones. Fish legs, Christopher Minzplast's character is going over like their D&D stats. He yeah. says that Zipplebacks have plus 11 stealth times two. Uh, so even though there are two heads and they're huge, apparently these are the ones that can sneak around really well. <laughs> Which is delightful. <laughs> yeah, and the, and these ones are clearly, the Zibblebacks are clearly introduced because two of the Vikings are twins. So, of course, they're going to be riding the two-headed dragon later. Duh. Like, that would just be a disservice to the story if that were not true. <laughs> um, then we have the monstrous nightmare, Firepower 15, which has a nasty habit of setting itself on fire. And oh, God. My, yeah, that that when when they reveal that detail and it shows the thing like climbing up that defensive structure and yeah. d- King Leonidas just waiting there up at the top for it. Truly, <laughs> so good. the 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 question I had though about the monstrous nightmare is later on in the movie we see Snotlout, uh, Jonah Hill's character, riding mm-hmm. one. Yeah, and it somehow knows not to set itself on fire when, when he's riding it. Right. <laughs> when human is on my back, I I must not. 
Which brings me to a question that I really want to get into is how exactly how intelligent do you think these dragons are? Mm. Well, I mean, it definitely feels to me that like Toothless is on a whole nother level, right? Which we'll get into. But there is a sense of them adopting, they get pretty, um, what's that word? Personified? You know what I mean? They start to take yeah. on very human qualities very quickly. Remorphized, um, right? You know, so it's like, I, I have a sense of their, like, that they are very adaptable creatures in this. That's what it makes me feel like in this film. That's like, they're easy to adapt. That's a really good word, adaptable, because when when the big reveal happens later on, that we find out that they, they are all subjugated by this dragon queen, and that's the reason, that's the only reason that they're raiding villages, they, it really does t- inform you a lot, a lot about their whole dragon society, and that yeah. they live in fear, and that they, you know, um, <laughs> yeah, that they're really, they're not evil, they're just... They're just part of this ecosystem, yeah. and this is the life they know. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, it's, like, it's, how old that queen dragon was, you know what I mean? Like, who knows how long they've just been feeding her constantly. Poor things. Yeah, so adaptable. That's a really good word for it, Saja. They're definitely an adaptable species, which might explain why they've served, why they've, why they are still alive during this time. Um, (laughs) We're going to get into whether or not they're prehistoric, but let me just go through the rest of the list of the the, uh, dinosaur, of the dragons that we see. (laughs) Already. Already (laughs) already slipped up. There is a uh, night, the night fury, of course, is going to be the main dragon. So we'll get into that. Then there's like all of the ones that we get mostly from the book. There is one more we see, uh, the terrible terror, attack eight, venom 12. And that's the really tiny one that they let out in the arena at the one time. It looks like a cat, kind of. It's so good. Uh, the rest of these, though, are just in the book. So we got a Thunder Drum, Timberjack, Scaldron, Changewing, the Skrill, Bone Napper, Whispering Death, uh, and then, of course, the Queen. And the reason, actually, the reason I wrote all of those names down is because it did remind me of when I was watching the show, um, they go into each and every one of these different dragons. So they use this source material and they they run with it and they really expand on it. So it's really fun. It's really amazing how much thought and, and effort has gone into this whole entire dragon's DreamWorks world. Oh, absolutely. So this might, this might be a good point for us to talk about, Sajda. Uh, let me ask you the question that I like to ask all of my guests when they bring... Uh-oh. A dinosaur movie onto the podcast. What is a dinosaur? Mm-hmm. Right. So I, my definition is probably, I mean, as you can tell, pretty loose. But <laughs> I, I would say anything that is like, like a reptile-esque creature that is, that does not exist anymore, right? Or that is, or can be or that is seen in mythology, right? Like any like that type anything that is within that wheelhouse to me, I will almost definitely take as a a dinosaur, right? Yes, in the cinematic language of like movie monsters and yeah. sci-fi creatures, a dragon and a dinosaur are almost indistinguishable other than the fact that like a dragon has wings for sure yeah. and breathes fire, but like their body type, their scaliness, yeah. their spikes all over their body. It's it's very, uh, my theory is that dragons only exist in our mythology because of dinosaur fossils. 
Right. I think that, and and again, not an original thought. I'm, it's not like I'm trying to claim like, oh, this is my hypothesis. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I subscribe. I should say I subscribe to the theory that that a lot of ancient civilizations, when they when they were, I, I don't know, I don't know what purpose they would have had for for digging this deep. But when they unearthed the first dinosaur fossils that a human being ever saw, right. If if anybody, let's say you let's say you found like a rib bone, you're probably just going to think that's rock. But if you find a skull that looks right. like a Tyrannosaurus Rex's skull in the ground, what are you going to extrapolate from that? If you don't have books, the internet, modern like modern science, what are you going to think? You're going to think this is a dragon. This is a, yeah. or you're going to come up with uh, the the myth of dragons from yeah, that. Exactly. So I do think that dinosaur fossils existing on Earth and being accidentally discoverable by early humans is what led to our entire dragon mythology. I don't think that anybody invented dragons whole cloth. I, I think that, it, it, and this is just a wild theory, but I think that it did come from some early human kicking a rock and, and like looking down and realizing, oh, wait, this rock has teeth. Oh, my gosh, what is that? It's a dragon. Yeah. <laughs> what do you yeah. think? I mean, that totally, I hadn't thought of it like that until you had said it to me, but I told that, that, that absolutely makes sense to me. That's, that's almost so, that's so much of our mythology, like any mythology that we have, right? Like a Pegasus, you're going to describe a Pegasus as a horse with wings, right? It's not, not a horse. You know what I mean? It's not, you know what I mean? Yeah. It ha- comes from something that we know and we've taken it and it's become, you know what I mean? It's come, become larger. It's become to symbolize other things. And like that to me is what a dragon is for dinosaurs. Awesome. So I, I will definitely, uh, since, since we're already like 20 minutes into talking about it, I will definitely allow us to talk about dragons on my Robots versus Dinosaurs podcast. Yay! It's official. I've opened the doors for you people. You're welcome. <laughs> so that means that we could one day cover the Matthew McConaughey masterpiece, Reign of Fire. I don't know if you... Oh my gosh, Saj, this movie, I can't get into how much I love Reign of Fire, how ridiculous it is. But <laughs> Matthew McConaughey does a dragon movie? Uh, it's Matthew McConaughey and Christian Bale. It is <laughs> a delight. No! Yeah, what it's incredible. World. Wow, anything is possible if you just believe, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so we're introduced to all of these dragons that are attacking the village and all of the villagers that are defending the village. So, uh, of course, Stoic the Vast is the is the leader. He's uh, he's Hiccup's father, and this is Gerard Butler's character. What a great name, by the way, Stoic the Vast. <laughs> the Vast. <laughs> and uh, he's huge. He's got a huge red beard. Carries a huge axe everywhere. Then we've got Gobber. Gobber is voiced by Craig Ferguson. He's like the 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 blacksmith. Hiccup is his apprentice. I at one point wrote down like all of the different attachments we see for Gobber's hand. Oh my gosh! <laughs> <laughs> Typically, he has this hook, but when dragons attack, he takes that off and he puts an axe on instead. And then when he's at the when he's at the tavern, he has a special tankard hand that he attaches <laughs> to his wrist. <laughs> <laughs> that he drinks from. Then later on, they're they're like spit roasting chickens, and the spit roast is directly connected to his wrist. <laughs> Good. <laughs> and then Sajdai almost didn't notice this one because I was caught up in like the excitement of the scene. There's a bit where they're on, they're coming from one of the boats, and mm-hmm. he has a paddle attachment. <laughs> Shut up! 
I didn't notice that either. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> I love him so much. Yes, Gobber hands yeah. down is the greatest character in this movie. So Fight me. Good. Fight he's me on that. So Every time, and I, I think about, like, the moment when he's talking with Stoic, and they're like, oh, like, what am I going to do with the hiccup? And he just loses his tooth in the beer, and he's, like, the whole time having this conversation while trying to find his stone tooth that he hammers back in with his goblet. I can't do it. I can't do it. It's, that's such a good gag, and that's such a perfect example of what I was talking about earlier. Like, that's not an accident. That's not, you know, the actor was doing that, and then something fell out of their mouth. That was every bit of that is absolutely deliberate. Such a good visual gag. Then we're introduced to all of the young people in this village. So there is Hiccup and Fish Legs. Uh, that's <laughs> sort of like the nerdy one that knows all about the drag. He seems like the most bookish. He has all he knows all their DD stats. The twins, Rough Nut and Tough Nut. And then Snotlout, which is Jonah Hill. Snotlout's kind of a douche. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> at least at yeah, first. Yeah. He's a tough boy. That's um, <laughs> he's a fuck boy <laughs> yeah he's like the, the draco malfoy kind of but like ends up being a friend later yeah. so maybe that's not it and the draco malfoy is not a good comparison but i, I do have some other things to say about it's not that then we've got astrid played by america ferrera so what do you what do you think about all of these kids what do you think about all these characters these these viking kids i it's i think what's really great about them also and especially like what I think part of why I liked the movie a lot, even as a teenager is that they just, they really felt like characters of people that I, like I understood and that I knew, right? Like it's so easy to be like, Oh, the, like the bickering twins or friends who are like constantly together, but they're like a little fighty and a little bitey. Then there's like the little douche. And then there's the hot popular girl. You know what I mean? They're all high school characters in their own way. Like we know they've already like put in, people that we can attach to and hold on to in in this Viking world, which makes it so easy to then join in, right? It's not only about these hard Vikings. It's about these, what's the word? Not stereotypes, but archetypes that we already know. Yeah. 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 What I really appreciate is that none of these characters, especially Astrid, I really appreciate this about Astrid, is not, she's not a Mary Sue. No. I actually, I actively dislike Astrid for like half of the movie. Fair uh, enough. Fair enough. <laughs> she's kind of like, she's what you described. She's kind of like the popular girl. She's very mean to, yes. to almost everybody, especially Hiccup. She's, she bullies people. She just punches people. And she's just kind of mean up until she realizes what Hiccup is doing and like how resolved, how determined he is mm-hmm. to save, to save this, this poor dragon's life. Yeah. And at that point, it's, I don't, it's not like her character takes a turn. It's that she sort of, I would say lets her guard down a little bit and you get to see who she actually is below this like Viking, you know, I'm, I'm a stoic Viking, (laughs) stoic um, Viking exterior. (laughs) And I will say for her character too, I think what's interesting or not interesting, but I think that we, that it's easy sometimes to like, see past the idea of like other than what rough, not tough, not, I can't remember which one is Christian Wiggum, which one's not, but they're the same. They're interchangeable. Exactly. She is the only woman that's a girl at this point, I guess you want to, uh, that's a part of this team. And she's constantly getting like, even though I think they like, they obviously think that she's very strong. She's never like actually said to be the best in the class, right? Like she's trying very, very hard to prove herself and prove her worth in this mm-hmm. very 
male-dominated class, and I would say male-dominated world, even though they, like, talk about female Vikings being just as, like, you know, like, uh, Hiccup's mom is, like, a, you know, was a strong woman, but, like, we really don't get to see it except in Astrid, right? Like, she's the one who, like, kind of has to bear that, and so I think when we see her, like you said, when we see her guard coming down, it's also, like, it's also, I think, a way, it's a moment to understand what's happening. She's, like, throwing axes at a tree, like, (laughs) so frustrated, because she's, like, I just want to be good, and then you see her follow Hiccup, and so I think that's maybe, yeah, a flaw is that we don't see a little bit more of or understanding that part of Astrid and why she's that way until a little bit later in the movie. So it becomes really easy to be like, why? She's just like so mean. And you're like, well, she's probably like, you know, staying up at night throwing fucking axes so that she can like be as strong as all of these dudes. Yeah. Yeah. I will, I will say that was something that I noticed throughout the movie is that there, this society is, they talk about it being egalitarian or they've depicted as, they don't depict it in any way where there seem to be gender roles per se. Mm -hmm. So theoretically everything is equal. Mathematically, however, no, because there's only, there's really only two women. Right. (laughs) So compared to the, I don't know how many men, but like if I can count the women and I don't want to sit down and try to count how many male characters there are, that tells you that there's a a clear imbalance. So like, yes, they are treated as equals, but there's clearly not an equal number of, in terms of representation. So yeah, she probably does feel uh, like she has this extra pressure to succeed and this extra thing that she needs to prove to the whole village or to, or to be better than these other kids. Because yeah, you're right. The, the Kristen Wiig character, Ruffna, is the only other girl in the group. The only time that that's really called out is when they're trying to get shields in the training arena and her brother says something like you take the one with flowers girls like flowers or something like that yeah yeah yeah. she hits him over the head and she said well now this one has blood on it and which is one of my favorite lines so good really (laughs) (laughs) yeah gosh the diet the dialogue in this movie is so good the first line that i wrote down was when (laughs) was after this attack the oh, i'm sorry actually the first well, the first quote i wrote down was like hiccup's whole introduction at the beginning his whole monologue at the beginning um which actually ends with him saying this really fun detail about how his name is hiccup and they all have these terrible names because the theory the, their idea their cultural theory is a hideous name will frighten off gnomes and trolls and i think it's hilarious that gnomes are one of the things they're afraid of <laughs> Because trolls are definitely these giant, scary creatures that eat people. Absolutely. Gnomes are like tiny little, like woodland creatures, as far as right. I know. Like, what do you, what would you describe a gnome as? Right. Well, well that's interesting. So, right, they're, they're, they're these, yeah, exactly. The woodland creatures are very small. They're like, you know, very garden friendly. They almost seem like they must be like vegetarians, all of them. Like, you know what I mean? Like, just very, at least like in theory, very nice. Although we do see mean gnomes in Harry Potter as well. So I was wondering, you know what I mean? So I'm uh, in, like what, maybe there's a connection there. You're right. You're right. Yeah. So maybe they're like little like nuisances. Maybe they're, they're yeah. like, uh, yeah. It's like, uh, you know, oh gosh, we have uh, um, badgers. Exactly. (laughs) Invasive badgers. (laughs) The trolls, actually, the thing that that, uh, Gobber doesn't like about trolls is apparently they steal your socks, but only the left ones. Left ones. (laughs) What's up with that? (laughs) (laughs) Well, Asad, do you distinguish your left socks from your right socks? Just a sidebar. Um, sidebar, um... Uh, no, but 
I was for a very long time a person who did the like mix match socks thing. Like Mm. I was too bothered to match my socks. And so I made it uh, like in high school, I made it like a staple that I mix matched. So sometimes it would be very specifically that like, oh, I have this like black gold one and whatever else. And like the black gold one was the right and the, you know, the stripes was the left. So, you know, a little bit. Now, not so much. Now I match my socks because I'm a fucking adult. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, well, because I'm an adult, I don't bother matching matching my socks. I just toss them all in the drawer, and when I need two socks, I take two socks out. <laughs> yeah, uh, I just make sure they're the same length. Let's say. <laughs> sure, th- th- I think that's the most important, really. Yeah, yeah. The only the only time I think about what my socks look like if is if they are going to be sticking out of my shoe. <laughs> <laughs> a hiccup tries to shoot this. What, like a ballista thing like this he has this bolo launcher that he tries to shoot at the night fury it turned he find we found out later he actually does hit it but there's he gets blamed for this thing that happens where he's running from one of the dragons and yeah. it, it burns down this the post that he's hiding behind and then this whole like big disc falls and crashes on a couple of other roofs and demolishes some other buildings and everybody blames him for that when he was just running from a dragon that did it um, yeah so then the next morning, the, the his father is talking about how much how how disappointed he is in him. And Gobber has this great line where he's talking to Hiccup, trying to make him feel better. And he says, you're looking at this all wrong. It's not what you look like. It's what's inside you that he can't stand. <laughs> so good. <laughs> he tells him, stop trying so hard to be someone you're not. Mm-hmm. And that's a great message. That's just a, that's, that is obviously the message of the movie. Hiccup is find how he is. He doesn't need to be this big, strong, gigantic Viking warrior. He can be smart. He can use his brain. He can, you know, he can, and and more importantly, his compassion that seems to make him a unique character is his compassion. So that really gets underlined by the end of the movie that his growth is not to become a bigger, stronger Viking because effectively, actually, he becomes a less physically strong Viking by the end. Um, he loses a leg and then he has a prosthetic leg now. And maybe, you know, actually that might be a very insensitive way to talk about that. I don't mean to imply that he's like less strong because he has a prosthetic. Right. But it's 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 not his, it's not a story about him growing his strength. It's a no. story about him finding out that who he is, is fine and actually balances out this very strong, burly society. Right. If anything, it betters it. It betters the society for him to be who he is instead of trying to make himself like everyone else. Right. Like they wouldn't they wouldn't grow. They wouldn't get to have dragons as pets if Mm -hmm. he does not hiccup, you know. And I actually I want to say, like going into the sequels of the movie, knowing that this this main character, this protagonist is going into the sequels of this movie with a prosthetic. That's that's got to be great representation if you're a kid watching these movies and you are, you know, differently abled in some way, or you have a prosthetic of some sort, that's gotta be a cool thing to see on screen because you don't see it ever, ever. (laughs) Yeah. It's Um, wild. So how to train your dragon gets, gets two points for representation from me, one for, for the differently abled and one for the LGBTQ community. Yes. I didn't even know. Oh my gosh. I'm going to be screaming it from the hilltops. I'm so happy about it. (laughs) <laughs> gobber. All right. So we're, we get really, we, we get into the plot of the movie right away where, where stoic decides this is it. This has been going on for seven generations. I want to put a stop to these dragons. We're going to find the nest. We're going to exterminate them. 
uh, when, before he goes off, he insists on Stoic, or Stoic insists on Gobber training, training Hiccup to become a dragon fighter, to kill dragons. And this leads me into one of my biggest questions. <laughs> How did they capture these dragons? Well, they have those nets, right? Yes. They they have these nets, and the, in the first scene, uh, Stoic said, well, I think more so that, so they don't steal the sheep, but, like, make sure the dragons don't get away. So I'm feeling mm-hmm. like that's the, that's the trap part of it. Yes, so they, so, they, so they trap them, they put them in this arena, and they mm-hmm. keep them in, like, cages. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming that, you know, Gobber or somebody else feeds them regularly, uh, right. cleans out their cages regularly, <laughs> knows knows how to at least manipulate them to get them into the arena and out of them. Yes. So there's already some dragon training happening, what? right? At least yeah. on a preliminary level. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's, it just doesn't seem to me like it should be such an outlandish idea when Hiccup presents it to the village as like, no, look, we can we can try something else with these things. We can, you know, we don't have to just kill them because they're already doing it. They're already yes. using them for a, a different purpose and keeping them alive for that purpose. So it's kind of... <laughs> but it, that does kind of also feel like, you know, gladiator-esque type thing, right? Where you keep mm. something or someone purely for, you know, the the entertainment of something or you know what I mean and you you fail to see the you you fail to see above your limitations of how you've been using something before right that's a good point it's like in so it's like in Jurassic Park they're not really they didn't create the dinosaurs to be pets or to advance society or even to advance science really they did it to put them in cages and make money off of them or profit from them in some way and that's kind of what's going on here they put these dragons in cages they're probably not treating them like pets they're probably not feeding them well yeah just enough to keep them alive yeah they're just utilizing them for their own for their own purposes but not really uh having a symbiosis with them like we see by the end of the movie yeah okay all right gobber is the not only the blacksmith but also the the warrior trainer of <laughs> in, this, in this village <laughs> and we get this really fun sequence when he's training all of the recruits one of the first things he tells them is that if you have to make a choice between a sword and a shield always take the shield uh and another piece of wisdom he drops is that a dragon will always always go for the kill yep do you think that's actually true Oh, well, I mean, we find out that it's not, but I think, I do, right, I think that their only interactions with dragons have been either them defending something, but uh, but antagonistic, right? Like, they've never had, like, oh, I'm just, like, stumbling in the woods and just came across this dragon, like, what's up, man? You know what I mean? Like, it's mm-hmm. always been at some form of confrontation, and if I was a dragon and I saw these humans and they were in the way of me, like, taking this one fucking sheep so I, like, don't die from this mother dragon, I also would kill you. You know what I mean? Like, I... Fair enough. I, yeah, I, this this goes back to what we were talking about, like with their what what is their level of intelligence? Because they're at least intelligent enough to know, like, hey, we found this island with sheep on it, and the sheep are what we need to feed to to Queen Dragon. Right. They're at least intelligent to re- enough to realize, well, let's not kill all the people on the island and then and then take the sheep because if we do that, there won't be more sheep. Right. Uh, or they won't be able to rebuild and, and provide more food for us in the future. So they're at least that intelligent. They uh, One step beyond that, they're intelligent enough to know, like, some of them are going to swoop in and steal the sheep. Some of them are going to attack the defensive structures. So they're going to create this diversions and they have this whole entire strategy when they're when they're coming in. So it all seems very, as we find out later, very calculated 
just to get the sheep. And I would argue, I think that they're actually trying to minimize human casualties when they do one of these raids. Absolutely. I think so too. But then humans get dumb and get in the way and they're like, listen, if you just let us take the sheep, all would be okay. But you got to come out here, axes ablazing. And so I got to, you know, and it's kind of it's kind of a thing where it's like I either you could you could see the um you could see it from the perspective of either side because the humans if right. you're getting attacked by fire breathing flying reptile lizard things <laughs> all the time you're gonna come up with ways to defend yourselves and defend your livelihood and because the because at that point the dragons aren't contributing anything to them they're just yeah. taking right and from the dragon's perspective they have to take it's not their fault i mean it is but like they don't have they really literally don't have another choice and i am of the opinion having watched this movie a couple times that they are trying to minimize the human casualties and i think that that speaks to their level of intelligence yeah um, and adaptability which is the word you used earlier that they realize like they have to be adaptable they can't just they can't just be this alpha predator and kill everything. They have to let the ecosystem thrive. Yeah, exactly. You know, so interesting, because the, the thing that I had a question about, because I had forgotten about this point until watching it again, was that apparently the um, Toothless doesn't take sheep, right? I think that's a point that makes that they never take sheep. They don't steal anything. So that is interesting to think about what is it that, toothless wanted this whole time you know what i mean like what is what about being a night fury like brought him there if he's not taking things to sacrifice so it's a good question and toothless is the only one right Right. do we see we don't see any other night furies right not in this movie and not to spoil it okay (laughs) well tell me because you could spoil it for me um (laughs) and i'll I'll put a spoiler warning at the beginning that we'll spoil that we're going to spoil the sequels to how to train a dragon today um so you can tell me like we there there is there another night fury later on the movies there is one other one that they meet i don't remember if they meet more i think it's just the two and you know she's a female so they can have little night little night fury pups so yeah I know it's definitely it's definitely only her but she's white so she's like an all white you know like pearly she's truly like the dragon version of Astrid where she's just like oh me what you know where does she come from like is it a thing where they like they didn't know there was another one and oh my gosh there is and they have to find her or what like what's the reveal of that so in the second one they find more dragons when they I'm truly gonna spoil everything I'm so sorry no that's okay that's okay (laughs) but they find they find Hiccup's mom so she's not dead and been on an island with a whole bunch of dragons she's kind of become like a dragon whisperer which is (laughs) wild and amazing because she apparently she had like more a similar you know viewpoint to Hiccup where she was like I'm more curious about these creatures and I don't necessarily think that we need to kill you know what I mean and so like but then she, I forget, she gets like stolen away by something, but I think the dragon steals her because she was trying to save her, probably muddling the story a little bit. And then in the third one, to be honest, even though that's the most recent one, I don't really remember as much of the plot of that one, but that is when we get female Night Fury. Yeah, it's like this wild, that, she really comes in as a way for, <laughs> total spoiler, she really comes in so that it could be a moment for Hiccup and Toothless to realize, like, what we've done is beautiful and magical, but also, like, it's almost like a, uh, like a animal, not cruelty, but, like, how to, like, be good to animals type of thing, like, 
but maybe our relationship is too much, right? Like we don't like you deserve to be free and you deserve to be wild. Like it was nice uh, to have you as a pet, as my friend, but like also you clearly have like a whole other, like you could be having a family and doing whatever you need to be, you know, having your best dragon life and like being my pet is like stifling you in some way. Um, so mm. you like be free. And so they like part and then, Oh, then at the end of it, they like meet up like on the, the like their like um hiccup is with Astrid and their kids and they're like on a boat and like night uh and toothless and his <laughs> dragon wife like come like, like they have like Thanksgiving together like a family reunion on this boat and they like show their cute little dragon babies oh and it's and they like play with the human babies and it's just so cute oh, oh I love that. So the series goes from how to kill dragons to how to train dragons to how to release your dragon back into the wild. Yeah, pretty much. It's like a full, it's a really delightful trajectory. (laughs) Yeah, I like that. (laughs) At this point, though, in this first movie, Astrid describes what's going on between the Vikings and the dragons as a war. She says, "Our our parents' war is about to become ours. Figure out which side you're on. Uh, Yeah. Someone has to pick up. Like, wow. <laughs> she comes up with some heavy hitters. She's like telling you how it is. <laughs> yeah, but like at that point, like, why does she think sh- that he's on the dragon's side? He's just like not good at fighting them. <laughs> no, <laughs> um, but she's like, you're an agent. You're a, you're trying to undermine our efforts. <laughs> you're one of them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but Hiccup has, of course, taken down the Night Fury with his bola, and in doing so, clipped its its tail fin. Yeah. So it can't seem to escape this like raven's head or raven's loft or wherever it's like this little like mini atoll from this island that it seems to be trapped on. And it's having trouble catching fish on its own. So Hiccup sort of comes and, oh, actually, I'm skipping over the scene where he where he releases it, because that's that's a really important moment we should talk about when when Hiccup finds the dragon and takes his knife out. And he's like he's like telling the dragon, like, I'm going to kill you. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to take your heart out bring it to my dad and toothless sort of like growls at him at first, but then sort of realizes what's about to happen and that he can't do anything and sort of resigns himself to death. And it's this really sad. Yeah. That head turn when he like closes his eyes to turn away (sighs) is so, Oh my gosh. Like, wow. Just accepting the inevitability of it. And it really made me sad. And then, Hiccup, of course, changes. He can't do it. He can't bring himself to do it. So he cuts him free and uh, Toothless pins him up against a rock and is about to blast his head off. I forget why he doesn't, but it proves that it, it disproves Gobber's theory that they always, always go for the kill. Yeah. They don't necessarily, especially if they don't have to. So Hiccup keeps coming back to the dragon and trying to form a relationship with it. He's trying to give it fish. He starts designing a new tail fin and, and trying to modify it. There's like a whole montage of him doing that. While mean, meanwhile, Gobber is is training everybody in fighting dragons. There, there's this moment that I wanted to ask you about because I wasn't really sure how to interpret it. When Hiccup is he's drawing Toothless in, with yeah. on on the dirt like with a stick on the dirt, and Toothless starts drawing something with his tail in the dirt and. Hiccup sort of like accidentally steps on one of the lines. Yes. And Toothless crowns at him until he takes his foot off. Like, what do you think that was about? Because I couldn't really part, they showed a wide shot of what the drawing was, but I, I don't, I couldn't really tell what it was. 
Yeah, I think it was more just, you know, to me it looks like scribbles, right? So I don't know. Like a doodle? Yeah. Like, I don't know if Toothless even, like, understood what what Hiccup was, like, drawing. Like, I don't know if, like, Toothless was like, ah, that's me. But I think more this, like, idea of, like, artistic expression, right? And so, for me, it's always been a moment of, like, that is my art. Like, please get your foot off my <laughs> Like, every time I see it, that's all I think of. It's like, I worked really hard. I broke that tree branch off, and I dug into the sand, and here you are just, like, playing around on my artwork, you know? Yeah. my my Just because I overthink things, my best guess is that he... Because I do think you're right. I think that's what it was, just like a, a doodle, and then, and then that's his art, and he's protective of it. But if I have to assign meaning to it, yeah. he might have been... Toothless might have been trying to draw the Dragon Island and up stepping on those lines and him growling was his way of communicating like, no, don't step on that island. Don't go there. Wow. I overthink things. Wow. So it, it might not be that. <laughs> That's a theory. I'm, I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued by that theory. During all of these montages though, and there, there's like a flight training montage where... This is oh, one of the most beautiful moments in the movie when when he has that cheat sheet and it gets yeah. away from him and he, or he throws it away and at that point he's like I'm just going to go on instinct and we're going to we're going to read each other and it's yeah that tell me tell me your thoughts about that cuz that's mean, that to you too right right I mean that is that is definitely the moment I think I mean I liked the movie a lot before him but that moment is when I like when I think you fall in love with the movie, right? Mm-hmm. The music swells and it's like da da na na na, and you're like he's just like it almost feels like um, every time I think I'm like oh well, wow that would be a great like amusement park ride, right? You know what I mean? Just like this boom, mm-hmm. it's like so many fast cuts and you're moving. You really feel like you're in and on toothless, just like moving in and out and weaving through these um, whatever I don't know what do you call those? Yeah, it is just a fantastic moment of them like also like understanding each other right like this idea of intelligence goes both ways the idea that Mm -hmm. like hiccup has enough intelligence and has been training with toothless enough that he can kind of understand the mechanics of a fin you know what Mm -hmm. i mean like that's a wild that's a crazy thing and that takes a lot of time and i think a lot of love right to be like i want to figure this out for you not only so i can but i don't you know because i don't think the instinct at first is to fly toothless as like this crazy pet but really to give him the chance to be free right the end i think that's kind of what's lovely yeah because i was questioning whether or not toothless needs hiccup to fly because Mm -hmm. does he need somebody with arms and legs to be manipulating those those the pulley system and pull the fan out at the right time and i think at first he does but not because not because hiccup is trying to design it so that it's a saddle or so that so that toothless is reliant on him but it's just that's the early prototype and that's just what he figured out at first but we see in later iterations of that same invention by the end of the movie toothless can fly on his own he doesn't need hiccup on his back to operate anything because he actually has to fly like when toothless falls off or when hiccup falls off toothless has to fly on his own to to rescue him so actually i don't because i feel that i feel like doesn't actually come into play until the later movies or at least they don't talk about it really until the later movies so i think and which is part of why that battle scene i think at the end is why it feels so dangerous is because is because of that is because once that um i mean obviously once the tail burns there's also like nothing like 
then Hiccup Can't Fly at all. But mm-hmm. I do think for these early movies, the the addition allows him to like glide and do more. But I think in order to like fully fly, he needs Hiccup to maneuver the because he there's no there's no like connection to Toothless to be able to like maneuver that wing, and and that doesn't come until yeah that comes to part I think later in the, the the third movie, I believe, when they finally make something that allows Toothless to, like, be Make free. Zone. Mm-hmm. That's um, cool. Okay, that's a cool detail. That's a cool evolution of, like, the actual device itself. Yeah. Uh, the prosthetic, We I guess we could call it. Because it's a prosthetic, essentially it's a prosthetic dragon tail. Uh, or yeah, tail exactly. Fin. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a wild. But, yeah, I think that that's... Right, but how do you right, how do you know that? Like how do you create that that can't be the first step. You can't like start from not understanding this dragon to like making a fin that works, you know, by itself. Like of course not. You need something. Your your instinct is okay, how do I manipulate this, you know, um this tail fin. So Yeah. The um so my other question though is during these montages, we're, we're, uh, Hiccup is gaining popularity in the town and to the point where he's described as like a celebrity. <laughs> how, at that point, when everybody's watching and paying attention to what this kid's doing, how is nobody seeing him go to this atoll or like taking fish and by the barrel full somewhere and then not coming back with all those fish? Like, no one's following him other than Astrid. Like, nobody is looking up in the sky when he's flying around with the dragon. Yeah, I don't know. That is my I, question, too. For a movie with Vikings living in symbiosis with the dragons, this is the bit of logic that I, yeah. that I, I can't suspend disbelief for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know how he gets away with, yeah. Especially because it's not like people don't know. I mean, Gabar says it when Stoke comes back, like, oh, most afternoons he's off doing something. And you're like, nobody thought, nobody questioned what that something was. Right. Goes off in the afternoons. Oh, how celebrities do. Just <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because the other part of that is like every like he's clearly doing something in the ring that nobody's ever like he's he's right. fighting these dragons off or, or beating these dragons. I should say in combat in a, an effective way that nobody ever has before. So yeah, all of the best warriors in that village are going to be like, I'm going to follow this guy twenty four seven so I mean, that I can fight like he does. Yeah. If they if they revere him this much and his skills this much, they're going to want to know like what is he doing? I don't know. I guess I guess maybe if if I was writing this movie, I would have ruined it with a delete with like a scene where I wrote a whole explanation of somebody trying to follow him and he's swerving on him or he's like coming up with a cover story. I'm actually glad that it's not there because the movie keeps keeps the plot moving forward. Yeah, 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 yeah for sure. <laughs> and and we at get, the end of the day, it's a cartoon. Well, I'm sorry, what were we going to say? No, just say so you get a little, you get, yeah, exactly. Asher's the only one who who ends up finding it out before everybody else, right? She she takes the initiative to, like, figure out what the hell he's doing. So that's yeah. our <laughs> And there's the really cool uh, scene where he takes Astrid up flying then I think that's what, yes, that, that is when they see all of the other dragons. Man, that shot, when they're flying up in the clouds and then all of these dragon wings start appearing Ooh. and then Ooh. more and more, and it's a whole swarm of them. Wild. Beautiful, but terrifying. Uh, can you imagine? I'd be like, mother, I'd be, you better get me the fuck off this goddamn dragon. I would have been so mad. Mm-hmm. Like, terrifying. Oh my god! What a first date. They fly. 
Uh, but then they, well, you know, but, but if you're somebody like Astrid, that might be like the coolest first date ever, right? I mean, she, she gives him a little kiss in the cheek afterwards, so, you know. Yeah. But they fly into this cave and she describes it like it's a giant beehive. And there is this dragon queen that uh, ends up eating a couple of the dragons, <laughs> just like crawls out of the volcano hole and snaps, snaps them up. Yeah. And it's it's awful. It's terrifying. It's terrible. So they they discover this dragon queen. And Sasha, where do, what do you think? Did any of the sequels explore the origin of this dragon queen or, or talk about talk about the dragon queen in more detail or anything? Well, I don't think they talk about her specifically. When you get to the, you all, you, you do find out though that dragons have like this sense of an alpha, you know what I mean? Like uh, uh, it's, it looks, it sounds a little bit like it's like based on like wolf, you know what I mean? Kind of pack type of thing Mm. with someone that you like, that, you know, you listen to and you just kind of follow in a way. There are many of them or not many of them, but there are, there was that queen, and I think there's another, like, super large dragon that comes out. But by the end of it, actually, um, Toothless becomes the alpha dragon that everybody has to listen to. So that, like, of course. That logic, you know what I mean, kind of, like, follows through. Right, that there's this journey of Hiccup trying to, like, at some point needing to be able to, like, be in charge of his community and then Toothless doing the same. So that's kind of, like, where that the line of that, like, beehive stuff follows into a more, like, oh, we're, you know, dragons are kind of, like, wolves, and they have an alpha that they follow and that they listen to, and that's kind of, like, where it ends up going later on. Do, does Toothless grow throughout the series? Does Toothless get larger, or is Toothless fully grown when we when we first see him? That's a good question. I don't, I think maybe he changes a little bit, like, maybe he gets, like, a smidgen more muscle, but I don't, I don't think so much. I, it's very, like, it, if if they do change his body type, it's not like it's not like a Pokemon where you're like, this is the evolution. You know what I mean? Right. He's very much recognizable as toothless the whole like time. This is, like this is a Night Fury. This is the size that a Night Fury is. This like, exactly. toothless is one of these, not like a baby one of these or something. Exactly. Right? I mean, yeah. And so when so when you see the babies at the end, they they are you're like, oh, there's the difference. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, um, yeah, he. It, it seems that Toothless is pretty full grown at this point, or at least adult. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So there's a great scene when when Toothless rescues Hiccup uh, when he's fighting in the arena. He's fighting the monstrous nightmare, and uh, uh, he. Every, this is where this is that scene where the whole village shows up. Stoic comes, and they're gonna watch Hiccup slay the dragon. Oh God! Which, gee, yeah, Jesus Christ. <laughs> But Hiccup doesn't want to, and Stoic flips out and <laughs> start like. Truly, he endangers his own son because he like yep. he just like fully loses it, and you're like, dude, come on, that is not the way. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, so Toothless somehow senses something's wrong or hears a noise and flies in, tries to tries to save him. They end up capturing Toothless and. Stoic straps him onto a boat, and then what is their plan exactly? The, he's, they don't he's, have- he's like, <laughs> I'm going to use this dragon. I'm going to strap him to the boat, and that's how we're going to find the island. How though? Right. And what are you? What are you actually going to do? You have no concept of how many dragons are there, so you're yeah. going to like kill your entire community possibly by taking to this island of dragons. Like what? 
another another shot in this movie. I, I I'm saying shot like as if it's there's a camera. Um, <laughs> it is so. It is so. Like it's in the cinematography, though. You know what I mean? Like it's great. <laughs> a beautiful image, I should say, in this movie that they that they painted with CG is when Stoic is standing at the mouth of the cave and they fire that that fireball kept from the catapult, and you just see the amount of <laughs> swarming dragons just like on the walls and crawling all over the place. Like it's like that scene in Aliens. Yes, um, exactly. It's like, so terrifying. Like everywhere you're like, oh, there's no way. There's just no possible hope is what I think. And then they're like, <laughs> like y'all are crazy. I was like, y'all are too much for me. There's no way. <laughs> I'll be like, I'm getting my ass back on the boat. They can have their island, okay? <laughs> yeah. I forget exactly where this comes, this line, but Hiccup tells somebody that um, the reasons, somebody, it's probably Astrid is asking him why he... Oh, yeah. Astrid points out at, at some point that Hiccup is saying, I wouldn't kill the dragon. Right. And she's like, that time you said wouldn't, not couldn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and he explains that he wouldn't kill him because he looked as frightened as he was in that moment when he when he takes the knife out and he's telling me he's going to cut his heart out. Um, he said that Toothless looked as frightened as he was. Yeah. And he saw, he saw himself in the dragon. Uh, that's just a beautiful little moment uh. <laughs> no it's, it's just a life and, and astrid has like this and it, it continues throughout the other movies of like getting getting to the heart of what what hiccup needs to find out about himself you know what i mean she's definitely like a little bit of a, a both like a love interest and like spiritual guide i feel you know what i mean this idea of like mm. okay, what do you really mean or what do you really want or need you know what i mean she's very like in tuned with that which is quite lovely yeah, yeah. We get this really, really cool aerial battle when the queen dragon comes out of the cave and starts defending defending herself, you know, attacking all the all the Vikings. So all of the kids show up and they start, you know, they each have their own dragon that that Toothless or I'm sorry, that Hiccup has taught them how to how to train and how to ride and how to be symbiosis symbiotic with. And of course, because it's a, it's a cartoon, every like the the kid that you would expect is on the dragon that you would expect him to be on. Yeah, I, <laughs> it feels very uh, um, like Avatar esque. Where you know what I mean? It's like you, the dragon picks you, not you pick the dragon. <laughs> yeah, so like fish legs, for example, is kind of like the like round, kind of least athletic one of the kids, and he's on the grunkle, which is the pug of the dragons. <laughs> Uh, Rough Nut and Tough Nut are the twins, and they are riding the Zippleback, which is the two-headed one, of course. Snotlout is kind of the jerk. He's kind of fiery, maybe you could say. Prickly. Leo energy, you know. <laughs> Leo energy, there you go. So he, he rides the monstrous nightmare. And then Astrid, uh, I, don't, I don't know if I have like a, a quippy thing to say about it, but she rides the Natter. Well, she at first rides a Natter with Hiccup, and then she rides it by herself. So yeah. the natter is sort of like, like I said earlier, it's sort of like the, when you sing, when you just say dragon, like that's what it looks like. This is a dragon. Exactly. <laughs> um, then like a grunkle, it's a type of dragon, but natter is like dragon, right? Yeah. Like, Full stop. That's it. Which, yeah, it does make sense because I think Astrid of all of them is Viking, right? Like she's the one who's got the most like, you know, other than her, you know, our normal idea of Viking being pretty male dominated, but she is, she's everything that a Viking quote unquote should be. Right. 
Yeah, I'd say like the most well-rounded. Yeah. There's not one feature that stands out the most. She's the most well-rounded and like fully developed. (laughs) So they they all ride in on their dragons. There's this really cool aerial battle where they're trying different things to, to distract the queen and... Fish legs is is breaking down its D and D stats and like figuring out it has six eyes and it has this thing on its head that it can use for ramming. So they try to they do this the, these really cool tactics where they like snotlout lands on it and starts bonking each of the eyes with a hammer until he gets distracted. Tough nut and rough nut fly by at one point and this is I wrote this down because it was just so much fun. They start yelling insults at it um, <laughs> and they yell troll. But elf, yep, solid gold. I'm I, gonna use that for the rest of my life. Yeah, I don't. I yes, I don't know why I didn't notice but elf before, but but elf is 100% the thing I'm gonna call people when I'm mad at them forever. <laughs> but elf, um, and then bride of Grendel, which that's a deep cut. <laughs> Do you know what they're referring to there? I actually don't, I don't even know. Grendel is this character from Beowulf. So this definitely oh. like fits into their whole world, you know, the right. Viking mythology. Um, Grendel is like the all the first villain of Beowulf that shows up and just starts eating people. And Beowulf fights, fights Grendel off and rips its arm off. And actually later in the story goes and uh, has to kill Grendel's mother. Oh, wow. So Bride of Grendel, I think, is just like this insult they came up with in the moment to be like, you're, you know, so ugly, you'd marry Grendel. Right. <laughs> exactly. Deep cut. Very deep, clever cut. Um, for right. Me. Like, I definitely didn't. Um, I definitely didn't catch it. I didn't, you know what I mean? Like, that wasn't. Wow, they're so smart. Look at them. Clever, witty. <laughs> so, Sasha, talk to me about how they bring down the Queen Dragon. Oh, right. So all of these lovely little tactics kind of like, you know, see its weaknesses. And then finally, it's like after we uh, get the beautiful rescue of Toothless, who's like almost going to like drown in this sea because he's still locked up onto the boat. It's like Hiccup's turn to like take the lead. So they they decide to fly. They want to test out its wings. Right. It says, oh, we, you've got wings. Let's see if you can fly. And so they, like, bring him up into what I would say is, like, toothless domain, which is the sky. And mm-hmm. they, they they keep on trying to trick it, trying to make it, like, lose if it has any... Because some of these dragons have, what is that called, like, uh, an amount of fire that they can breathe out until, like, they can't breathe it anymore. Yeah, I like that that's a rule, that, they, like, they have a certain number of shots in their in their barrel <laughs> yeah, <exactly>. to reload. <laughs> and so, you know, I think they're trying to, like, get out as much as they possibly can. And so they keep on, like, trying to, like, get it to, you know, target them and, like, drain itself, you know, wear itself thin. And I love, one of my favorite moments about this is that they thought about not only, like, oh, we need to obviously see them flying in the clouds and, like, what is that, you know what I mean, that fight in the sky going to look like, which is fucking stellar but Mm -hmm. then they also think about what it looks like on the ground which is that one moment where you see like just the shadows of this huge these dragons fighting in the clouds from below which i was Mm. so brilliant like just beautiful oh i i yeah it's yeah. yeah, it's the Return of the Jedi thing, right? It's like you've got the you've got Luke fighting like the big sword fight 
on the Death Star itself, but then you see the people on Endor looking up in the sky, and there's also like the X-Wings attacking it from space. So it's like this three-pronged battle going on. You got the guys on the ground, the guys in the air, and it's very, very exciting, like climactic sequence. It's so good. It's it's really like just a phenomenal moment. And and I think it's also clear, like I that it's clear, I think what they're trying to do right and then by the end of it they're like which they found out when they were just like flying around that like if a if a dragon shoots their fire into the mouth of another dragon you can kind of quell it right Mm. Um, which they find out with those little ones when the little one's trying to take the fish on the island (laughs) and so they you know they they have a callback to that so they've they're like in this swirl of clouds and fire and fury as toothless tail, the the prosthetic tail is kind of, is burnt in it. They're trying their hardest to fly down to land and shoot the fire in its mouth, fast, like at a specific time, so that the dragon hits land and is you know is vanquished. Is the word so? I'm- is is that what kills it? Is it the fall? Because they there there's this big like fiery crash, like the Hindenburg coming down, yeah. <laughs> and. Not- it's like it almost seems like it's like it's exploding and burning up. But if you think about it, whether whether the fire is outside or inside of the dragons, they're not affected or hurt by fire. Right. So it can't be that it's burning to death or or exploding to death. So do you think it's the fall? It's like gravity is what is what kills the queen dragon. I think it's a combo. I think they're tr- I think they were trying to say, which is not clear, but it's how I've kind of tried to interpret it. The Night Fury also has like a crazy amount of fire, right? That it's almost they say it's like lightning. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's like a sonic boom kind of. Yeah. So I think that there's, you know, this is like 3.0 version of what it did to that little tiny dragon, right? Like Toothless wasn't trying to kill that little dragon, so he mm. just like, did a little boop. But for this one, like Toothless is using as much of his crazy lightning fire, and so I think because at the end you also see that the fire goes into the mouth of the queen dragon and she does start to burn up. Like her wings start to burn up as she's falling down. So I do have a sense that it's like a, it's a combination. It's like, she's so hot. And then by the time she hits the ground, she like kind of like implodes. You know what I mean? My idea is that that dragon doesn't exist. It's in a million pieces on the floor of this Island someplace. Because they don't show, they don't show the body. They don't show the, the, dead uh, giant dragon at the end so i assumed either yeah it completely burned up somehow or like crashed into the into the ocean and just sank to the bottom maybe right. or yeah or it's just a kid's movie and they don't want to show dragon chunks and, and pieces all over the guts all over the place you know that you know that yeah very that <laughs> it's interesting that you say toothless's domain is the sky because now that i'm thinking about it and like his his the unique look of of when toothless shoots fire and it's this yep. blue sort of orb that comes out and then that explodes outward into this like sonic boom that it, that explodes. It's very unique and it does kind of look like lightning almost coming from his mouth, especially when he's up in the clouds. And and that also ties into early on in the movie where you were saying that Toothless never steals food. He shows yep. up with the rest of them, but he kind of just like, I think the most that he does is he fires one of those blasts at one of the towers and then he sort of just keeps flying by. He's just flying in the night sky against... There's a great shot of, of, of his full silhouette against the starry sky. That's what Hiccup is aiming at with his bowler yeah. launcher. Oh, and, but yeah, it just seems like he's kind of there to support them all. Right. But not to actually be the one swooping in, killing or, or 
stealing food. It's it's like it, it really kind of underlines the whole idea that toothless like when you say his domain is the sky, it makes it even sadder what Hiccup does to him at the beginning when he right. takes him down and clips his tail. And and from that point he can't fly on his own. It's it's really, really tragic that yeah. yes, all of these other dragons can fly, but that's not the main it seems like they're they, most of them are are fine with crawling around or walking around or like climbing on the walls of things and they use flight when they want to but it seems like toothless wants to live in the sky absolutely yeah for sure i i always think of that moment when he like when he's like trying really hard to fly and he can't and then they show uh i I was gonna say shot too but they show an image of the bird and nest and the bird flies and he like looks at the bird longingly like wanting to fly every time that happens i'm like oh uh my gosh, it like gets me every time. I'm like this poor dragon. Like, what is right? Like, what is he gonna do? He can't do anything. Sajid, do you know what is perfect about that that moment? Every single time that I've watched this movie, when Toothless is looking at that nest, my very first thought is, "Oh, he's hungry because he can't catch fish, so he, he's gonna eat these bird eggs because that's easy, right?" Mm. But that is not the thought that's going through through Toothless's head at all, and it's great that the movie like presents it to you in a way where it doesn't tell you what's happening. It doesn't tell you what to think here, but then yeah, he doesn't, he's not looking at the nest because he's planning on how to, how do I eat these, these tiny bird eggs? (laughs) Oh my gosh, that thing can fly. That's all I want to do. And it it really just, it's beautiful. It's a, it's a beautiful, well-crafted moment. And it's again, another reason why like animation is such a great, form of storytelling yeah it's just so it's just so specific and it's yeah like you said it's just not by accident and it's a a, like a fantastic way to illustrate to something that doesn't really well you know toothless has a lot of sounds but he doesn't speak like what might be going through his mind you know what i mean like in an external way which is so cool yeah, I'm looking, now that we're, we're talking about it in those terms, I'm looking at, like, what awards did this movie win? It was it was nominated for Best Animated Feature Film and Best Achievement in Music, uh, written for Motion Pictures, original score. But it didn't, it didn't win either of those. I wonder what, I don't know what won in 2010. Let's yeah, look that up real quick. I know if, if uh, Coco was here, he'd know on the top of his head, but... <laughs> <laughs> think it's a dis- it's a sad sad disservice oh well okay okay let's talk okay let's discuss sajda oh in 2010, no the movie that won the academy award for best animated feature film was up the first half hour of up is oscar worthy in yeah. my opinion the entirety of how to train your dragon is oscar worthy in my opinion <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I don't know that the whole entire movie of Up is an Oscar movie, right? If it was just the short at the beginning of that like, like montage of his life, yeah, his wife's death, big spoilers for Up, sorry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that I could see like best animated short or best, yeah. an- but best animated feature. That should have gone to How to Train Your Dragon. Absolutely. I mean, Up is, it's a, it's a delightful film, but yeah, by the end of it, it feels just, to, at least to me when I watch it, it's just like so much trying to hit home. It's like messages and, you know what I mean? It, everything becomes about the message that they're trying to say and not about the movie, which is like the opposite of How to Train Your Dragon. You know what I mean? In my opinion, like it, you get, you truly, it's a movie in which you're, you're getting the message because you're just watching this beautiful film and it all like, 
you need the whole thing in order to get the full of what they're trying to tell you and like what is supposed to be important, yeah. which is useful and up. Ironically, a very similar third act where there's this big blimp flying around that has to be stopped and it's a bunch of like dogs in fighting jets flying around <laughs> and it comes crashing. But like, but it's, it also kind of feels disconnected from the beginning of the movie in a, in a, in a way that in How to Train Your Dragon, the, the, the final climactic battle is the culmination of everything that was introduced at the beginning of the movie. So in my opinion, it's a much better complete story and a complete telling and i think that they were robbed i think dreamworks was robbed in 2010 <laughs> i agree i mean i will i will fight for how to turn dragon all day every day so yeah. but that you know that just proves how much like these awards are completely arbitrary because like, are there uh several up animated series on netflix or are there even sequels to up no so. i don't so, mom. <laughs> Ten years later, the only thing anybody talks about when they talk about Up is that opening sequence that breaks your heart. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And Squirrel. Um, I love this movie, Sajda. I'm very, very glad that you brought it onto the podcast today. I want to ask you, does this movie, would you say that this movie is a plus one neutral or minus one for dinosaurs slash dragons? I think it's a plus. I would give it a plus 10 if that was part of the the, <laughs> the writing system. But I definitely do. Right? Because it's this idea of the, which, I mean, we, we love to do, but, like, the humanity in the, right? Or the, or the kinship. The idea that, like, something that we thought was, quote-unquote, against us is actually just as a part of this world as we are and is just as important and that we can actually coexist and make this world better together which is i think what a beautiful message to have for dinosaurs you know what i mean like a mm -hmm. wild thing it would be if like we could connect with the other creatures of this world and make it better instead of like trying to constantly kill one another you know what i mean so mm -hmm. yeah and i i kind of wish that um daenerys targaryen had had hiccup or somebody like hiccup to consult with yes. because he had a lot of really good ideas about, you know, how to train dragons, how to live in symbiosis with them, rather than just using them as weapons of mass destruction. <laughs> Facts. Truly, her dragons are just, like, the equivalent of nuclear bombs, where, like, you're just so nervous that one is going to go off at any moment that that's what keeps you from doing stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would agree. I do think this is a plus one for di uh, dinosaurs. I... Just to just to save myself from internet comments, I am going to say obviously taxonomically there are big dinosaurs are real. Dinosaurs yes. did exist. Yes. They are different from what a dragon is. But we, I think, we justified that in a in a movie in sci-fi in in the cinematic language of a movie monster, a dragon or a dinosaur is the, the actually actually one difference is that dragons are generally depicted as like super intelligent. Yeah. So, like, in Jurassic Park, the most intelligent dinosaurs we see are the velociraptors. And the most intelligent thing we see them doing is when Blue comes to Owen Grady's rescue multiple times. And, and by, the, by the fifth movie, actually seems to be, like, deci has decided to be one of the good guys and only kill dinosaurs and never kill humans. Right. But it's weird. Um, <laughs> <laughs> 
That's a strange relationship. <laughs> but how to train your dragon? Like you just you can just see the intelligence in in these dragons' eyes. You can just see their intent and and purpose and their mannerisms, their behavior. I think that this entire world that was created by DreamWorks is absolutely lovely. And I and I haven't explored all of it. I haven't even seen the sequel movies, but it does give you a lot to dig into if you're a fan of this. And that's I think that's a great a great testament to how good this original movie was absolutely do you have any do you have any final thoughts on this movie before we move on to my final bonus questions oh i mean uh, yeah if you haven't i just my thing is like yeah if you haven't seen it already it's just it's pure it's pure joy just the whole way through i think there's nothing even right even the little things that we could pick apart about it i think you know they're so they don't take away from the movie as a whole for me at all so i just think it's a perfect movie <laughs> they don't i typically um the things that we that i pick apart on this podcast are only because i was i was taking notes while watching the movie this is definitely a movie where if you're just watching it anything that is nitpicky you don't you don't notice because you're so caught up in the moment the music the visuals so the only reason that i had found <laughs> things to pick apart is because i was writing all the details down <laughs> but the movie just works as a story and it's beautiful it's very well presented is there anything that, that we didn't really cover or anything we didn't really talk about that you think we should revisit real quick i don't think so right i think we we're you know obviously this it's also like you know we know that it's setting up for future movies so the relationship between hiccup and astrid grows quite a bit in the in the subsequent movies but yeah i think that yeah i think we've talked about it i think we've hit all my major marks. Excellent. Sajda, this is a section of the podcast that we like to call, What's Your Snack? Sajda, what's your snack? What's, when, <laughs> what's your snack? When, uh, when, <laughs> when you used to be able, when it was legal to go to a movie theater, um, <laughs> <laughs> what was your favorite movie theater snack? And now that we are trapped inside because of quarantine, mm. do you recreate your movie going experience when we watch movies at home? That's a good, so, uh, no, um, when it comes to the recreating, I'm a pretty, I don't know, I guess I've really, like, separated those two experiences. The idea of, like, theater movie watching to me is, you know, completely different to sitting at home movie watching. My snack, though, okay, so, this is very hard, actually, because I, I'm a bit of a wild card. I, like, go to the, you know what I mean? I am, uh, I am very much a Pisces. I am a water sign, you know what I mean? I kind of, like, move with the flow of things. And so there are three different categories of movie snack, I think, for me that I will go to. One is... Break them down. Yeah, the salty, right? Like yep. uh, a good nacho, nachos and cheese. Like I'm definitely, I will go nachos before I go popcorn, even though I think popcorn mm. is a perfect, is like, is a, a necessity at sometimes. If I'm like being really good to myself, like the nacho is really what I, I always want the nacho. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Even if I get the popcorn, I it's, it's probably just because I wanted to save a few dollars. <laughs> um, and then there's that the melted pop- cheese. It's Oh yeah, of course. Like. Have, okay, I have done wild, where you get the popcorn and the nacho cheese, and then it becomes cheesy popcorn. I have indulgent and been like, can you please give me a medium popcorn and a side of the nacho cheese? And <laughs> they they know that I'm in for a good time, right? That's like, a, I'm in for a three-hour movie, like, give me the good yeah. time. 
You know what I mean? I am, I am trying to get heart disease by the end of this film. Help yeah, me out. Exactly. Please. <laughs> Definitely. But then there's the chocolate, which is also a necessary. The sweet of the chocolate is so necessary. And so for that, I used to be a raisinette girl. I haven't had them in quite a long time. I feel like now what I, you know, I'll just go for like, Peanut M&M's are like one of my favorites. Sometimes I'll put those in the popcorn. Whenever I'm feeling just why, you know what I mean? Exactly. I'll just like throw them into the popcorn and like that's, it's a, it's a two for one. Mm-hmm. And then my last and final, sorry, this, I, you know me, I love food. I could talk about food all day long. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so my last one is, and this is on a rare occasion, is some form of like ice cream. And like an ice cream sandwich type of situation mm. at a movie, I'm over the moon. Film mm. Society has, I think they're called Mel. I don't, sorry if I'm saying their company wrong, whatever. But they have like at their Walter Kerr Theater, and I think some of the other ones too, they have like cookie ice cream sandwiches where it's like literally a, a red velvet cookie with cream cheese ice cream and then another red velvet cookie. And mm. Every time I enjoy the movie immensely more. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's just nothing better. So hmm. those are my those are my snack options. So you didn't you didn't go into like fruit kind of candy. Oh, like like, gummies. Like, yeah, gummy candies. So that's not really that's, in yeah. your wheelhouse, huh? It, it is that's when I'm like being very quick. You know what I mean? If I'm like, oh, okay. I just like really wanted to just like have something. Swedish fish, um, you know what I mean? Like that is okay. the that the gummy of choice for me. But I'm a Sour Patch kid. Ooh, Sour Patch. My mm, yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's a that's a good one. That's a really good one. I sometimes it, it the tongue feel is sometimes too much, and it'll be too, yeah. strong, which is why I don't always go for the Sour Patch, but they're delightful. I once, um, you know how you can, you can at like candy stores or like a, a, sometimes malls have these kind of stores that you can like put, you get a bag and a scoop and you can just put as many candies as you yeah. want in the bag and then you pay by the pound. I once, I think I was maybe 12 years old and I had my allowance and I knew like we were going to the mall. My family was going to the mall and then to a movie. Yeah. So I used my allowance to buy a full pound of Sour Patch Kids, because in my mind, I was like, these are going to last forever. It's so many. I was, because of the nature of watching movies and you just kind of get into this mindless zombie state, Saj, I ate an entire pound (laughs) of Sour Patch Kids during one movie. I think it was Stargate. I can't remember exactly what movie, but I think it was Stargate, actually. And I just remember that for a full, like, four days, I couldn't taste food because (laughs) I would wake up with this like weird film layer. This is disgusting, but like this layer of like film on my tongue that just it's felt gross acid. and weird. What'd you say? This is the citric acid. Yeah. Yeah. And I just could, couldn't taste food for a couple of days. And I was like, I am never eating Sour Patch Kids again. And I broke that promise very quickly. But, <laughs> um, but, I, but since then I've never eaten an entire pound of Sour Patch Kids. <laughs> wild that's so wild <laughs> i love that so much though but that oh what'd you say that's that'll do it that'll do it for you though that citric acid will really get to you yeah it's bad it, it happened one other time with, i ate too many warheads i had like mm. too many of those sour warheads Oof, those are rough yeah saj i have one final bonus question 
if we were to recast this movie with Whoopi Goldberg and Danny DeVito, <laughs> where would they fit in and how would it improve the movie? <laughs> I've lost all my senses. <laughs> <laughs> I, oh my gosh. Well, I think they would make, I think if I was going to put them in, there's two places I'd put them. I'd either have them as Stoic and Gobber or I'd have them as Rough Nut and Tough Nut. So either one of those would, I think, be a perfect place. Yeah. Man, Rough Nut and Tough Nut, that's inspired. I think that's, that's where I'd want to put them. Yeah, I think that that's the, be- that's the, the best choice. I understand, like, I think, you know, Stoic and Gobber only for the fact that they're, like, super celebrities and you'd want them in, like, maybe more of the movie. But... Rough Nut and Tough Nut, I think, would be um, the two of them bickering back and forth. Fantastic. That's perfect. Yeah, I have no other suggestion. That's exactly what I want to <laughs> say. Uh, I'm going to call DreamWorks, actually, and tell them, like, we need to get we need to get DeVito and Goldberg in the booth. We need to re-record just those, just those <laughs> characters' lines. And we're going to make that happen. <laughs> well, Sajda, I can't thank you enough for being a guest on the show today. I had a great time talking about this absolutely wonderful movie. Do you have anything else to say about it before we close out? I I don't I don't think so. I think I was. It's just been such a. It's such a beautiful. Oh wait, wait, wait. okay. So there yeah. is one thing I wanted to. I totally forgot. I wanted to ask you, which is because I know how much you love Jurassic Park as well. Do you know or can you recognize the sounds or the animal sounds that they use to make the dragon sounds? Yeah, though that audio, once that audio was created in 1993, it's been the, the um specifically the Tyrannosaurus Rex sound which has the combination of like a crocodile and elephant and like a bunch of other animals. That sound has been used in a lot of other films, especially animated films with like big creature that screeches, like big right. Godzilla like creature that roars or screeches some version of that or some uh, somebody's somebody's interpretation or recreation of that sound for sure and then the 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 velociraptor screeches from from the original Jurassic Park are also things that i noticed were there, were there any particular moments in this movie that like like a sound bite stood out to you Oh, I was just cuz i was i remember thinking about it especially cuz of Toothless has like a purr that he does sometimes because they add yeah. in a cat. And I think his name is Rob Tom, Rob Thomas. Oh, sorry, the sound mixer. Apparently he does a lot of it, but I would not have known. Horse is actually one of the things they use for Toothless a lot, which that to me cool. was wild. I was like, oh, because I remember being like, I can hear the elephant. You know what I mean? I can hear the tiger, but horse, crazy. Man, yeah, sound sound engineering is is a crazy awesome field. Yeah, like wild. <laughs> Sounds. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. Um and so you know what that the fact that they, you know, you have to think about what does a dragon sound like and the people who have to make that decision or have to design that sound yeah. are thinking in the same terms of like we have to figure out what a dinosaur sounds like when it roars. I think that that supports our justification for reviewing this movie on robots versus dinosaurs. Yep. That dra- yeah. yep. In fact, dragons are dinosaurs. They are. <laughs> There's literally no difference whatsoever. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right, Sajda, it was wonderful having you on. I am going to, um, there's going to be a link in the show notes, listeners, to check out Sajda's podcast, 
Pod Queens that she is on with uh, Gamal and Jelani, who you can also hear on episodes of this show. And definitely check out Wormholes. There's going to be a link to that. Fantastic web series. How long are each of the, each of the episodes are like 10 minutes long? Is that right? Yeah, oh, um, they kind of like increase. So we just like ramp up to a nice 20 for that last one. <laughs> but most of them are between uh, 10 and 15. Yeah. Yeah, I, I will say, though, like when I watched that last episode, I was already so invested that it that 20 minutes felt like 10 because I was just like, oh, my gosh, I have to see how this how this ends. And it really is. It, it's it's a nice little like bite sized show. And it's I think it's brilliantly written and acted and directed. And I think everybody should check it out. So check out Wormholes, listen to Sajda on Pod Queens. And Sajda, do you have anything else to say to our audience? Just thank you for having me and for listening to the sound of my voice. <laughs> and I love talking with you, Lou. I will talk with you about any dinosaur or robot all the time, anytime you want to. <laughs> awesome. Maybe, maybe, you know what? Maybe we'll cover Reign of Fire on a future episode. Maybe I'll convince you to watch that. Oh, that's probably not a hard sell for me. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Dino fans. Thanks for listening. And uh, we'll see you next time on Robots vs. Dinosaurs. Gamal, and I'm a culture queen. I got my finger on the pulse, mama. I am Sajda. I am your contrary queen. I am giving you devil's advocate realness. I'm Jelani. I'm a tangent queen. I'm going to distract us from whatever it is we're talking about. And you need to listen to Pod Queens, a podcast where three queens wade into the steamy waters of culture. New episodes drop every Tuesday, wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, that's Pod Queens, spelled K-W-E-E-N-S, because spelling is what? Fundamental. Thanks for listening to the Apocalypse Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, go to apocalypsepodcastnetwork.com. And remember, every time you support one of our sponsors, you're supporting the podcast you just heard.